Reader's Digest presents Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? Then you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests, classic radio shows, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, and showbiz news. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present a classic radio detective adventure of Dragnet, starring Jack Webb. But it's time now to play Beat the Host. In order to beat the host, either one or both of our two Hollywood 360 listener contestants must correctly answer more multiple-choice trivia questions about Tommy Lee Jones than me. Lisa Wolf is our moderator. That's you, right, Lisa? It's still me, Carl. Please say hello to our two Hollywood 360 listener contestants. I would love to. We have Sandy on the line from Woodstock. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Tom. Hi, Sandy. beautiful... Groundhog Day in Woodstock. All righty. Yes, it is. Uh, we're glad to have you with us. And we have Mish, who is in the studio here. He's a friend of our uh, executive producer, Mike Costales. So, hey, Mish, say hello. Oh, wait. There we go. You're on. Hello, Chicagoland. All right. Uh-oh. And- he has a better voice than me. This is not fair. I am not giving up this show. Do <laughs> not try to take the show away from me, Mish. Carl, we are a team. I will be very mad. All right. Okay, we're going to start this. with Sandy. Sandy, Tommy Lee Jones was in Charlie's Angels, the pilot for the television series. What was the name of his character in this film? Was it Dr. Mark Toland, Scott Woodville, Aram Kaligian, or Charlie? Charlie. Oh, it wasn't Charlie. I'm sorry. Do you know, Mish? Dr. Mark Toland. I'm sorry. It was a good guess. Carl, was it Scott Woodville or Aram Kaligian? Kaligian. Kaligian is right. Carl is on the board. Oh, that was easy. <laughs> no problem. We're in trouble. <laughs> That's right. He is Just trouble. Just rattled off the right answer there. <laughs> yeah, nothing to it when it's 50-50 anyway. All right, Mish, you are up. Tommy Lee Jones played Doolittle Mooney Lynn in which film about the life of country and western singer Loretta Lynn? And if you know the answer, uh, he knows it. you can shout it out. The coal miner's daughter. The coal miner's daughter. You are absolutely correct. He gets 1.5. You got it. 1.5. Carl? Yes. See if you can get 1.5. All right. In which film did Tommy Lee Jones star with Linda Hamilton? Uh. Is it Separate Lives, Black Moon Rising, Back Roads, or Eyes of Laura Mars? Back Room Rising. That's, that's a combination. Do you want to say Black Moon Rising? Yes. That's right, Carl. You've got it. Total guess. I know. <laughs> Something just said to me, yes, that's It the one. sounded right. Yes, yes. Um, I have a little guardian angel or something yeah, going on. Jane Lynch is, is somewhere yeah, around. maybe. All if right. you would have listened to the story, you'd I, uh, know. Okay, I was Sandy. too busy yawning. I know. Sandy. What about his angel? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sandy. 
Tommy Lee Jones provided the voice of one of the small soldiers in the 1998 movie directed by Joe Dante. What was the little fighter's name? Is it Colonel Hayes Hodges, Captain Bully Hayes, Major Chip Hazard, or Colonel William Hawkins? Major Chip Hazard. You have got it. Congratulations. Now she's on the board. got a close game here. Okay, Mish. Jones was the bad guy, William Stranix, in which one of Steven Seagal's movies? Is it, you know it? Go ahead. Under Siege. That is right. He's got 1.5. Very impressive. Not only does he have a better voice than me, he has more points than me. Yes, he does so far so good. not good for me. Carl, you, this is this is your turn. You've got a chance to redeem yourself. Although All you're right. doing a great job. Yeah. In which film was Jones's character named Ryan Garrity? Mm-hmm. Is it Volcano, Blown Away, Blue Sky, or Firebirds? Blue sky, oh, smiling so at me. Close, but not Nothing the right but way. Blue skies. <laughs> Sandy might I be able. See? You're a good singer. I know. Uh, Sandy, can you help him? Yes, but I'm not going to sing. Oh, you don't have to. (laughs) You shouldn't Um, sing either. I think it's Firebird. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Do you know it, Mish? Blown Away. Blown Away is right, and you've got it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. All right, Sandy, here we go. Which villain did Tommy Lee Jones play in the film Batman Forever? Is it the Joker, Two-Face, the Riddler, or Mr. Freeze? Anything Batman, I know. Sorry, I didn't get this question. That's not my question. No, it certainly is not. (laughs) Can you tell me? Um, Yes, I can. It's Mr. Freeze, I think. No, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Mm. Mish, do you know this one? Mr. Freeze was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's right. I I pictured the square face. (laughs) Yeah. Mish, you know this one, right? Yes, I do. It is Two-Face. It is Two-Face, and he's got it. Wow. All right, Mish, here's your question. What famous baseball player did Tommy Lee Jones portray in a 1994 biography? Ask me that one. I know that one. Is it Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Ty Cobb, or Cy Young? Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb it is. This guy's unbeatable. Uh, Carl. I'm running out of ink. No, no, Carl. Writing his his points down. In Men in Black, what was the name of Tommy Lee Jones' character? Uh, Oh, come on. Agent D, Agent J, Agent K, or Agent Z? K. Yes. You got it. Okay, final round. Sandy, this one's for you. Tommy Lee Jones directed and starred in the television movie The Good Old Boys. Which of the following actresses starred in the movie with him? Is it Sharon Stone, Nicole Kidman, Sissy Spacek, or Susan Sarandon? Uh, Susan Sarandon. Oh, so close. I thought you had it. I'm sorry. Mish. Drawing a blank. Well, just say That's A, B, or C. That's not one of the girls. B. B is not right this time. So sorry, Carl. So who's left? So it's Sharon Stone or Sissy Spacek? Sharon Stone. Oh, I got all of you. I said Sissy Spacek, didn't I? That's what I I thought you said, but you didn't. Almost. Uh, All right. All right, Mish. Who stars with Tommy Lee Jones in the 1997 film Men in Black? Is it Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington, Cuba Gooding Jr., or Will Smith? Will Smith. Will Smith it is. 
Good job. Boy, that was a tough question, hey, Lisa. you know. I'm sweating that. That question was tough. Hey, Carl, right. you're just jealous. Final question for you, Carl. What? How was Tommy Lee Jones injured in October 1998? How was he injured? Yes. Did he fall mm. from his horse in a polo match? Did he injure his neck while filming a fight scene? Was it from an explosion on a boat or a helicopter crash? Helicopter crash. Oh, no. No, no, no. Sandy. He fell off his horse. That's right, he did. And what do you do, Sandy, when you fall off a horse? You get right back There on. you go. Yes, you do. <laughs> you All right. That one. What do we got going here? Sandy has two. Mish has like 1.9 million. <laughs> and Carl has three. All so right. uh, Mish beat the host. Sandy Terrific. did not, but uh, Sandy, you're going to get fabulous prizes. Mish, uh, wow, I don't know. You could, uh, he could have his own trivia contest and take over this show. Not he's take got a nicer over the voice. Show. Not take over the show. And he knows more about Tommy Lee Jones. All right, well, uh, great job, Lisa. You too. Thanks, When Carl. we come back, it's Dragnet. Stick around. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. Dragnet was perhaps the most famous and influential police procedural drama of all time. It dramatized cases of a dedicated Los Angeles police detective, Sergeant Joe Friday, and his partners. Actor and producer Jack Webb took Dragnet to new highs and insisted on realism in every facet of the show. Every aspect of police work was chronicled step-by-step, from patrols and paperwork to crime scene investigation, lab work, and questioning suspects. Friday offered voiceover narration throughout the episodes, noting the time, date, and place of every scene as he and his partners went through their day investigating the crime. While most radio shows used one or two sound effects experts, Dragnet needed five. A 30-minute show could easily require 300 separate sound effects. Dragnet was first class all the way and had no trouble making a successful leap to TV and films. All right, it's time now for a radio adventure of Dragnet from November 16, 1950. This is called The Big Parrot, and it stars Jack Webb. Now, this was originally sponsored by Fatima Cigarettes, but we have removed all of the cigarette commercials because we don't want you to smoke. As heard on NBC, here's part one now of Dragnet. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A man and his wife are found dead in a rooming house. A dead parrot lies on the floor beside them. The killer set fire to the room to cover his tracks. Your job, get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, April 2nd. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch on a homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from communications, and it was 5.25 a.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide.
Is this Miss Jones? Yes, who is it? This is Joe Friday. I'm sorry to bother you, Miss Jones. Is Lee there? Oh, yes, Joe. Just a minute. I'll wake him. Lee. Lee, honey. Yes? Lee, it's Joe Friday. He wants to talk to you. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. <coughs> uh, yeah, Joe, what is it? I'm sorry to wake you. Can you come down right away? What's the trouble? Got a call from fire headquarters a couple of minutes ago. Yeah? They had a fire in a rooming house over on 7th Street. They found two dead bodies in one of the rooms. Yeah? Well, the battalion chief doesn't think so. They found both bodies on the bed. There was evidence of arson in the room. What kind of proof they got? The victims. That's why we called you. Yeah, what you got? The fire department thinks they were dead before the fire started. <laughs> 5.30 a.m., Romero and I drove out to the rooming house on 7th Street. It was a two-story building in the middle of the block between South Grand and Toledo Avenue. On one side of it was a small transient hotel, on the other, a building which housed a bookbinding firm and studios for an acrobatic dancing school. When we got there, the salvage crew was still working. We were directed to the second floor where we met with a man in charge from the fire department, Battalion Chief Sullivan. It's right down the hall here. Watch your step there. Oh, yeah. Do you have the names of the victims, Chief? Uh, we think it's Guthrie, Mr. and Mrs. Charles Guthrie. Old couple, lived here for some time, I understand. Here we are. We figure that's where it started, right under the bed over there. Heat must have been terrific. Look at the walls, Joe. Yeah. This is where most of the damage was done, Chief? No, rooms on both sides got it, too. Not as bad as this, though. Guthrie's had two rooms. This and the one adjoining. Through the door there. Mm-hmm. When the fire starts, got any idea? About quarter to five, I'd say. Landlady smelled the smoke about ten to five, put in the alarm. Fire was out three minutes after five. Any other casualties besides the Guthrie's, I mean? No, just the two. Okay. Over on the bed here. Hmm. Yeah. One of the worst I've seen. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Ben, you can see from the position of the two bodies, doesn't look to me like they suffocated. Mm-mm. No evidence that they tried to get out of the room. Both relaxed. Looks like somebody did them in and tried to cover with arson, huh? Oh, gee. Yeah? On the floor there. Oh, yeah, a parrot. Somebody wrung its neck, looks like, to me, and then threw it there on the floor. Mm. There's the empty cage there in the corner, doors open. Chief? Yeah, why? Schubert's still talking to the landlady? He hasn't come back. I'd like you to meet Friday and Rabello. Romero. Sorry, Friday and Romero, homicide detail. This is Clyde Wine from the arson squad. Hi, How are you? How are you? You want to show him that setup, Clyde? How it was touched off? I'm glad to. You can take a look under the bed there. It tells most of the story. See directly underneath there? Let me see. Mm-hmm. What is that, Wine? Pretty charred. Rags and papers. Had a good soaking in kerosene before they were touched off. Strung out all under the bed here. Yeah. Couldn't miss, huh? Thorough guy, whoever set it up. Most of the carpeting in the room was doused with kerosene, too. This much you can count on. The man who touched it off knew something about timing devices. Want to show him that rig, Clyde? Uh, right here. Yeah? Ordinary electric heater. This automatic timer was connected to it, then plugged in. Heater was placed under the bed right next to the rags and papers. Timer was set probably for about 4.45 a.m. Mm-hmm. Timer let go on schedule. Heater warmed up. Rags and papers caught fire. Then the mattress. You can see the rest for yourself. That timer, pretty intricate one. The man who put it together was no amateur, as the chief said. 
Must have known something about clockwork. Why? Why, see you a minute. Yeah, Mac. Excuse me, I'll be back in a minute. Good Thanks very much. You find anything else that might tie in, Chief? Not in this room, no. Dead parrot there. Door of the cage open. Mm-hmm. Probably a pet. Might have been out of the cage at the time of the fire. Mm. Is it possible that the parrot could have suffocated, Chief? Not from what I can see, no. As I say, it looks to me like somebody wrung the bird's neck. A few green feathers on the floor there. Mm-hmm. That's the adjoining room in there. Okay. I figure the Guthrie's used it as a sitting room. Yeah. You can see the fire didn't wipe out everything in here. Mm-hmm. Hey, Joe. Come here, man. Right. This carpet here with the door. Dark stains. Let me see. What do you think? Could be blood. A heavy stain. Sure enough of them. Yeah. Looks like more of them are that desk there. Some on the wall, too. Desk drawer's open here. Yeah, I see that. That's about it. You know as much as we do so far. Yeah. We know how the fire was touched off. We're satisfied it didn't kill those two people in there. The boys from Larson Squad talking to the other rumors in the building? Right now, you can check with them. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Chief. I certainly appreciate it. Not at all. The usual breaks, isn't it? How's that? This is fire prevention week. 5.53 a.m. Lieutenant Lee Jones and the crew from the crime lab arrived. Davis, the photographer. Dean Bergman from Leighton Prince. Pictures were taken of both rooms, which made up Mr. and Mrs. Guthrie's living quarters. Photographs of the bodies were taken. Bergman processed for fingerprints. While Lee Jones continued his investigation, Ben and I went down the hall to the landlady's apartment, where we met with Ray Schubert, one of the men from the arson squad. These men are from Homicide Division. Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, Mrs. Uh, Stedman, that right? Yes, Clara Stedman, how do you do? Mm-hmm. I manage the house here. Would either of you care for a cup of tea? No, thank you. I wouldn't care for it. When did you last see Mr. and Mrs. Guthrie, ma'am? Well, now, let me see. Miss Guthrie, I, I saw her just before dinner last night, a little before six. I went in to borrow an egg and a cup of flour. She was all right then. Was there anyone with her? No, no, she was alone. What about Mr. Guthrie? When did you last see him? About 7.30. I looked out my window and I saw him closing up the parking lot. Did the Guthries have any visitors at all yesterday? Do you remember that? Oh, just what I know of. Jack Marshman. He's working for Mr. Guthrie. About a year now. When did Marshman visit the Guthries, do you know? Around four yesterday afternoon. Yes, I was there too. Mrs. Guthrie and Jack and I had a cup of tea together. Then Jack left to go back to work and then I left. You didn't notice anyone else in or near the Guthrie's rooms after that? No. I had my dinner and listened to a radio play and then... I went off to bed. I know you're upset, Mrs. Stedman, but can you think of anybody who might have wanted to do away with the Guthries? Anybody who had a reason to do them harm? Oh, as far as I know, Sergeant, they didn't have an enemy in the world. I guess I was wrong. It's a terrible thing. Yes, ma'am. Now, we'll leave our card here with you. All right. If you want to contact us, don't hesitate to call any time. All right, thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Stedman. Goodbye, ma'am. Goodbye. And there is the Mike Estella door uh, sound effect that uh, you break on a sound effect. If there's a sound effect in the in the show, 
you break on it. You know, Mike has a trademark, and we all have a trademark. He and- likes to come back into, you know, like the room. You know, like we start the show again, it's like opening the door and coming into Maybe the room. Maybe he just likes to slam doors. Maybe. <laughs> Or he's probably in there going, yeah, and maybe there wasn't any music uh, to break on Carl Amari, hey, Mr. We, Know-It-All. We would never call you that. That's what he's saying in there. We call you much, could, much worse I'm sure than he's that. in there like, don't get criticize me for breaking on the doorknob, you doorknob. He wants to call me a doorknob, probably. This is You're creating things in your brain. It's probably what he's doing in there right probably. now. Probably. Um, hey, you know why this sounds so real, this show? Like when you're listening to Drag Down, it really sounds like a, like it's really happening. Jack Webb used to do something very, uh, unorthodox. He used to have all of the actors stand around the mics, like back from the mics, like five feet away from the microphones, and then he'd have them turn the mics all the way up. The engineers that turned them all the way up. And it gave you this, it's a different feel. When you listen to Dragnet, it has a different feel than the other dramatic, detective shows it sounds so realistic and that was his style he liked to have them standing far away from the mics where all the other shows you know they were right on the mics and um that's what he liked and and it when you listen to it it it, it does work again we all have a trademark right? we do we have a trademark <laughs> yours is uh yes. to uh try to annoy me is it as working? much as you can and uh yeah you, you're very oh, successful wow. at it Thank lisa you um and uh but i love you mm-hmm. i love she can take a licking and Keep on ticking like mm-hmm. nobody I know. Yeah. All right, so here is another uh, clip. Tommy Lee Jones. He was in this movie, 1991 drama, history, thriller. It's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. Yeah, that's Lisa Wolf. A mystery inside of a... And what does he say? Hang on. It's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. That's Lisa Wolf. We got to use this clip, Mike. This describes Lisa to a T. Identify what movie that is. Call us toll free 855 360 H360. Win some fabulous prizes. If you can tell me what Tommy Lee Jones movie that is, he was one of the cast members of that film. Call us right now toll free 855 360 H360. We'll be right back. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. I love when Mike uh, plays the disco. The disco music reminds me of my my youth. Your, Lisa. your Saturday when night live years. I had the bell bottom shoes, or, or pants, I mean, <laughs> and the uh, and I had the. Um, I was going to ask you to explain your bell bottom shoes. The platform shoes. shoes. Well, you platform. still wear platform yes, shoes, yes, of course, because I'm so small. You're short. I'm only I'm, short. I'm four was the word I was going to four eleven. Um, it's not that short. It's not considered a little person at four eleven. Five two is short for a man. This is true. But Just with saying. the and and I had the uh, you know the gold chain the horn the Italian horn. Yeah, but I had, had that, that too. And I'm I had my Italian. my hair was pretty long back then. And you had hair? Yeah, yeah. Just because I don't have any hair now. I mean, what a picture you're describing. Yeah. I mean, this short bald uh, guy with platform shoes. Pl- platform with my bell bottoms. No, your I remember shoes. those they days. They were bell bottom shoes that those you had on. Those were the days. And I used to go to a place called Stay Out. It was a. That's what they were know, trying to tell you. Yeah, to do. no, it was like a. It was a discotheque, and it was called Stay Out, which I think is a pretty cool name for a discotheque. We're like Stay Out. That's we were what like, they were no, telling you, Carl. No, please stay um, out. And uh, you had to be a certain height to get in. I four, four ten. I just made it. It's over four ten. I was four eleven, 
And, uh, and it was like disco and there was all, you know, it was cool. You know, I was dancing and I thought I could dance. I can't dance. I know. But I thought I could back then. Sure. Ah, I just, yeah. Just fond memories, you know, Lisa? You sounded very cool. Yeah. Well, I was back yeah, then. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so here's the clip, Tommy Lee Jones. It's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. That's how I describe you, Lisa. That is Thanks, you. You're Carl. a mystery wrapped up in a riddle and whatever. What did he say, Hannah? Enigma. It's a mystery. Mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. Inside an enigma. Yeah. Can you, sure you can say all those words? Let's go <laughs> out to... Uh, What's his name? I'm sorry. Uh, his name is John. Hi, John. Calling from Schaumburg, Illinois. Hey, John. How are you? Hi, Carl. Hi, Lisa. Hey, what's John? going on? How you doing, John? I'm doing great. Just tuning into this great show. Oh, thank you very much. Do you know what movie that is? Uh, this should be JFK. JFK is absolutely right. Way to go, John. We appreciate that. And um, you're going to win some fabulous prizes. Sound good? Great, thank you. You're welcome. Bye, John. Uh, John knew it. And here's a little trivia. Sure. A little trivia, Lisa. Kevin Costner, of course, in this movie, Gary Oldman, Jack Lemmon, Tommy Lee Jones. Director Oliver Stone filmed the shooting of Oswald by Jack Ruby in the actual basement garage of Dallas City Hall, where the where the real shooting took oh, that's, place. That's very cool. You know, Oliver Stone. He yeah. uh, he makes some good movies. He I knows like how it. to do it. He's definitely a good director, no doubt about that. All right, let's get back now to Dragnet. What time you got? Six uh, fifteen. It's pretty early. They ought to be able to post the bodies for us this morning. Hey, Friday. Oh yes, Chief. Jones, your crime lab man's looking for you. Thank you, Ben. You call the corner, do you? Yeah, he's on his way over. Right. Lee. Hi. I'm looking for you. Got a few things. Yeah, what's that? This hammer. Found it over in the corner under some of the rubble. These stains on the metal handle here on the head. Mm -hmm. Gave it the benzidine test. It's blood. You figure it's a murder weapon? I know more when I get the coroner's report. Bergman lifted a lot of nice prints. Blood them all over everything. Yeah. On the handle of this hammer, on that timing contraption over there... The one that touched off the fire even left some in the next room on that metal box in the drawer of the desk. How did they look? Got good prints from each room. They match. Come in the next room. There's something else. Sure. Yeah? No stains on the carpet by the door. The stains on the carpet by the desk. Those on the wall. Blood stains, all of them. Mm-hmm. And you can see here, trailer stains, all leading through the door into the murder room. You figure they were murdered in here, and then the killer took the bodies in the next room and put them on that bed. Huh? Then he set fire to cover up. That's my guess. How about the prints on the box in that desk, Lee? Might have been money in the box. Possible burglary? That's an angle. I'll take scrapings from these stains on a biological precipitant when I get back to the lab. I'll let you know how it comes out. Better start finishing up. Yeah. Right, Lee. Thanks very much. Well, that looks like we're in fair shape. The hammer, a couple of fingerprints. Righty. Romero? Yes, Hubert? Father worked for Mr. Guthrie in the parking lot. Jack Marshman just got here. Did you talk to him? Why didn't I have him in one of the empty rooms down the hall? Thanks. Which way? Down here. Seems pretty well broken up. You talked to anyone besides you since he got here? No, I told him the Guthries were dead, that's all. He's taking it pretty hard. Which one? Right here. (laughs) 
friends I had, Charlie Bonnet. I knew I should have stayed with them. I knew I should have. These men are from homicide, Mr. Marshman. Huh? Sergeant Friday and Sergeant Romero. Hello, Mr. Marshman. How are you? I, I, I don't know what I can tell you. I can't understand what Charlie bought. Well, what can I do to help? I'd like to have you answer a few questions, if you don't mind, sir. Certainly. Oh, it's about 6.30. That's when I get off duty at the lot. I, I said goodbye to Charlie. Never dawned on me. It was the last time I'd see him alive. I, I just can't understand. It's such a vicious thing. Charlie and Martin. It's really terrible. Yes, sir. You want to just sit down there, Mr. Martin? Thanks very much. Right. Yeah? Are you sure you're the only one who talked to Marshman since he <coughs> That's right. I met him at the door downstairs. Well, the only thing you told him was that the Guthries were dead. That's all he got from us. Any chance he could have been in the room since the fire? Not a chance. Then how do you know somebody killed him? April 2nd, 6.45 a.m. Lee Jones and his men completed their investigation and took their findings back to the crime lab for further examination. The deputy coroner arrived and removed the bodies of Mr. and Mrs. Guthrie to the county morgue. Together with Clyde Wyant and Ray Schubert of the arson squad, Ben and I continued questioning the Guthrie's friend and employee, Jack Marshman. His answers got more confused and he kept contradicting himself. In some ways, he seemed childlike. In others, a good deal more complex. We strung along. In order to keep up the pretense that he was not a suspect, we asked him to come along with us while we checked his living quarters, a two-room basement apartment near Olympic and South Flower. We explained it as a routine check. Marshman was calm and self-assured. Well, here it is, officers. See for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice, comfortable place. Oh, I like it. I've been here for about three years. Well, this room's where I do my living. Pull-down bed. It's a little gas plate. Oh, that's handy. Compact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. What do you use this next room for here, Jack? Oh, that's my shop. I like to put it around. You care to see it? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm, it's very nice. What's your hobby? Watchmaking, yeah. Used to be a watchmaker. I haven't worked at it lately, though. Job's pretty hard to find. Yeah. Uh, these parts here on the bench, you making something, Jack? Oh, just fooling around. Old alarm clock there. I'm fixing it up for a friend. All these wires and things. They all go into the works, huh? More or less, yeah. Just something I was fooling around with. It keeps me busy, you know. I like a hobby. They say it's good for you. That's what they say, yeah. Where does this door go, Marshman? Oh, that's my closet. Just some clothes and stuff in there. Just junk. Don't mind if I look, do you? It's only a closet. They're just clothes and junk. There's nothing to see. Say, Jack, uh, do you usually keep this stuff around? Huh? Oh. It's, uh... Kerosene, and it's pretty dangerous to store like this. There's no cap on it. I'm glad you reminded me. I, I got to get a cap for that. I, I use it to wash up. My hands get dirty working around the bench. Well, this shirt, these trousers, are you Jack? Uh, I wish you wouldn't dry get stuff out. It gets my stuff all mixed up. But, yeah, they're mine. Did I figure? It's dangerous. Quite a few of them. 
Uh, some kind of paint I was using. I'm pretty sloppy with paint. It's not paint, is it, Jack? It's a little like blood to me. Well, what difference does it make? The working clothes. Thanks to your reason, it was in the day. Well, why don't you lay off? Hmm? Who cares what kind of stain it is? You, you, you come in here snooping around, looking all around. I, I invited you in here. I didn't give you the place. This is my apartment and this is my shop. Now, you, you can get out. You hear me? You both of you, you can get out. What's the matter, Jack? I said you can get out. All right. You want to tell us before we go? I'll tell you what. Why you killed the Guthries? What do you mean? Why did you kill Mr. and Miss Guthrie? No reason. I just did. Nine a.m. We put the stained clothing and the materials from the workbench in the car. Together with the suspect, we headed back for the office. On the way, Marshman was quiet. He asked for some breakfast. We stopped and bought him some ham and eggs. We tried to get him to talk. He refused. After breakfast, we dropped the stained clothing and the other things at the crime lab, and then we drove to the city hall. We parked the car in front of the Spring Street entrance and started up the stairs. Hey, wait a minute. What's wrong? I've been thinking. Yeah. It's all a mistake. What is? I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't kill him. 9.47 a.m. Ben and I took the suspect into the interrogation room. We checked him through R&I. He had a record of two petty thefts the year before. We went back to the interrogation room and got on the phone. We called latent fingerprints. We made them, Joe. The prints on the hammer, the timing device, and the metal box on the desk. They all belong to Marshman. 10.03 a.m. I called the county morgue. Bodies identified as Mr. and Mrs. Charles Guthrie. Cause of death, Mrs. Guthrie. Multiple depressed fractures of the skull. Subarachnoid hemorrhage. Blunt instrument. Cause of death, Mr. Guthrie. About the same. Compressions of the brain in the occipital area around the brainstem. 10.25 a.m. I put in a call to Lee Jones at the crime lab. The materials from the workbench are the same that went into that automatic timer, Joe. Piece together the cut ends of some of the wires. They match. How about the stains on his clothes? Human blood. 10.45 a.m. We laid it out for the suspect, step by step. Let me rest a while. I'll feel better. Let me think. We stayed with him. We waited. 11.20 a.m. The suspect opened his eyes. Sorry? Yeah. I want to talk about it. 11.25 a.m. Schubert and Wyatt from the arson squad joined us. We called in one of the stenographers to take Marshman's statement, Eleanor Eastlack. She automatically took down the time, the place, and those present. Jack, this is Miss Eastlack. She's going to record your statement so there'll be no misunderstanding as to what you say at this time. How do you do, ma'am? Hello. Joe, you want to handle the question? All right. Jack, we've got a few preliminaries here for you. Okay. John Everett Marshman, is that your true name? Yeah. Where do you live? 122 and a half Morgan Place, apartment B. What's your age? 37. Occupation? Watchmaker, when I'm working. Well, now, Jack, you've indicated to us in a previous conversation that you're willing to make a statement setting forth the true facts surrounding the deaths of Mr. and Miss Charles Guthrie. That's right, I'll tell you. Were you in their home Tuesday, April 1st? That's yesterday. Yeah, that's right, I was. What time did you get there? First time? About five minutes to four in the afternoon. Mrs. Guthrie was there, and so was the landlady, Mrs. Stedman. We had some tea. Was anybody else present while you were there? No, just the three of us. How long did you stay there? Mm, I left about 4.15, I guess. I guess I was there about 20 minutes. Where'd you go when you left? Oh, back to the parking lot, as usual. Charlie Guthrie left and went home to dinner. He got back about 6.15. I left at 6.30, quitting time. Where'd you go after you left the parking lot? Went around the block and then back to the Guthrie's place. Why'd you go back there? To get money. 
Charlie never paid me enough. Picked me up and expected me to work for nothing. All right. Now, in your own words, will you tell us just what happened starting when you entered the Guthrie's apartment the second time? Mrs. Guthrie opened the door and I went in. She gave me a cup of tea and I told her I wanted some money. She wouldn't give me any. I don't know why, but I was mad. I was sick and tired of both of them. They never gave me enough money. Elmer? I'm getting it, Sergeant. All right, go ahead, please. Mrs. Guthrie went in the next room and I went over to the desk and got the money from the box that they keep it in. I don't know how much I grabbed all of it and that parrot started squawking. Mrs. Guthrie came running in. She saw me with the money and she says, Jack, I picked up something and hit her. It was the hammer. And I kept hitting her. Can you remember how many times you hit her, Marshman? Oh, I don't know. She fell down. The parrot was still squawking, jumping around the cage. I went over and opened the door of the cage and pulled the parrot out. It stopped moving finally. I went in the bedroom and threw it on the floor. And then I dragged Mrs. Guthrie in the bedroom and put her on the bed and I left. Where'd you go? No, I don't know. I walked around. Tried to think of something. It was cold. I got a bottle of wine. I drank it. And I, I got to thinking about what Charlie did when he got home. I knew he'd be sure I did it. He always blamed me for everything. So I finally went back to the Guthrie's place and found the hammer that I used on her. What did you intend doing with the hammer? Killed Charlie. If she had it coming, so did he. You, you can't blame me if they forced me into it. Anybody would have done the same. What'd you do after you found the hammer again? I picked it up and waited for Charlie to come home. I remember that. Wine made me feel pretty good. I stood there in the dark holding the hammer. Watched out the window for Charlie. It was cold out, I remember that. There's a radio on down the hall and I held on to the hammer and waited for Charlie. A neon light across the street that came through the windows. Old lady was on the bed in there. I could see the parrot on the floor. It was quiet. I had a smoke. Traffic kept going by outside. I could hear that. I held on to the hammer. It's windy out. I, I kept thinking Mrs. Guthrie was looking at me from the bed, but she wasn't. Charlie came home at the usual time, a little after 7.30, and I stood by the door. He came in and closed the door after him. When he reached for the lights, I hit him. He fell down, I hit him some more. You, you couldn't blame me. Anybody would have done the same. Anybody would have, the way he kicked me around. How many times did you hit him, Washington? I don't know. Was it twice? Three times? I don't know. I hit him really quick moving. That's all. I... Took him, dragged him into the bedroom, put him on the bed with his wife. I put him over. Wiped the stains off of me and left her. It's the only thing I could do. Where'd you go then? My place. I knew that time I had to do the trick. I put her in a shopping bag with some stuff and I went back to the Guthrie's. They were still there on the bed. Carrot was on the floor. Uh, would you repeat that last part, Mr. Marshman? Oh, I, I said they were still on the bed, the Guthrie's, and the parrot was on the floor next to the bed. Put the kerosene on the carpet and the rags and paper under the bed and rigged up the electric heater and the automatic timer and set it off. A little slower? Yeah, we'll just pick up Jack and then slow it down just a little bit. Oh, sorry. How did you rig the timer to set off the heater, Marshman? Can you tell us? Oh, it'd take all morning to tell you. you. You got the timer. I'll take it apart and explain it to you if you want. All right. What was your purpose in setting fire to the room? You knew both Mr. and Mrs. Gustav were dead, didn't you? Well, sure. Sure they were. They forced me into it. I set the fire to make it look like an accident, like they'd burned to death. Well, what would you do after you set the timer? All left, went down the street, bought a couple of bottles of wine, talked to the guy a minute. Now I walked around a while, it was too cold, so I went home. When'd you get home? Mm, 
2.30 maybe, I don't remember too well. Did you go right to bed? Yeah. Did you go to sleep? No. No. I laid there and read a movie magazine, drank the wine. Finally, I finished up the two bottles and dozed off. What time did you get up? A little before six this morning, went down to the Guthrie's to nose around. That's when I met you guys. Well, you know all the rest because I've been with you ever since. All right, Jack. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I told you anything. All right. Well, this statement was given free and voluntarily, and there's been no promise of immunity or reward extended to you? Yeah, that's right. Was any force, violence, or duress used to induce you to make this statement? No. Okay. These questions and answers have been recorded by the secretary here. After they've been transcribed, will you be willing to sign it as a true statement? Sure, sure, I'll sign it. All right, owner. Will you get that out as soon as possible? All right, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that's it, huh? All of it? That's it. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm tired. It's been a long night, a long one. Get used to it, huh? They're going to get longer. The story you just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On July 29th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 86, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. John Everett Marshman was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree, two counts, and arson, one count. He is now serving a life term in the state penitentiary without possibility of parole. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. That is Dragnet going back to November 16th, 1950, The Big Parrot, starring Jack Webb, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. And, uh... Lisa Wolf, I want to remind our listeners that we have a website for this radio show, and there's lots and lots of fun stuff at the website, including thousands and thousands of pictures of Lisa, and uh, there's one picture of me, and then that's, there's that's uh, one too many. I'm yeah, thinking, I know. Right? And then there's uh, like a whole photo gallery, and there's uh, information about the show. There's our schedule of all the shows we're playing. There is a store which has all kinds of fun classic radio and classic TV products at the store. Um, what else is there? Um, that's, what? Oh, there, well, there's a podcast of this show. Right, that goes up uh, every Monday. Yeah, it goes up on Monday. So this show you'll hear on Monday. If you missed any hours of the program or uh, fell you- asleep because Lisa was boring you, or then, if you uh, just want to hear something again and you just can't stand it, you just have to hear that one more time. Yeah, you can just go to Hollywood360radio.com, Hollywood360radio.com, and you'll hear a whole podcast of this show plus an additional hour, a bonus hour of classic radio. We uh, we want to thank our listeners for uh, coming to our podcast and listening to it, so we give you an extra hour classic radio shows uh, at our podcast. Um that's just because we're we're very generous. Well, we're generous people here. Yeah, I, yeah, you're very yeah, nice. You're so really nice, generous. Carl. I know. Thanks, Lisa. All right, let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. Take a picture of you and your cat. Send it in. Email it to catspridephoto at gmail.com with your name and your cat's name and your city and state. You'll be automatically entered into a drawing. Every month we're giving away an entire year's worth of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter. 
enter the contest. Send a picture of you and your cat to catspridephoto at gmail.com. In our next hour, we will tune into Space Patrol Plus. Sarah Adamson, our national movie critic, will be here to talk about The Man from Uncle and the end of the tour. That's coming your way. Stick around.